Ever since she was a little girl, Lynn Henry dreamed of one thing, and one thing only, becoming a famous songwriter. When she was a kid, she was always humming to herself, making up little songs when she was in the bathtub or taking a walk. She loved to sing. And her voice teacher said she had talent. When she was young, Lynn had wanted to be a performer as well as a songwriter. She had dreamed of being up on a huge stage, belting out song after song, dazzling the audience. But as Lynn grew older, she realized she wasn't ever going to get up on any stage. And no one was going to applaud her performance either. It was one thing to fantasize when she was a kid, an ugly duckling. But this duckling had never turned into a swan, she reminded herself grimly. Just an ugly duck. And who wanted to pay to see an ugly duck on stage? I don't care, she thought suddenly, her eyes flashing with determination. She was going to enter the droid songwriting contest. She was going to write the best song she possibly could, and she wasn't going to worry about what would happen if anyone heard her sing on tape either, because she wasn't going to put her name on the cassette she submitted. Anonymous, she said aloud, half bitterly, half seriously. Lynn would write this song for all the nobodies out there, for anyone who knew what it felt like to be anonymous when everyone else had a name, for anyone who had ever known what it was like to be on the outside looking in. Right. <laughs> Whose idea was this? Mine. <laughs> Are you a Jessica or an Elizabeth? I can't wait till Jessica and Elizabeth murder each other. <laughs> Wolfields! If the rumors are true, Cheeseburger in Paradise was written all about her. It's Elizabeth Gomez. Her creative process landed her in therapy. It's Adrian gone. That's hurtful. You really don't need to be putting all my business out there, but... This is Wokefield, where two middle-aged comedians realize all their problems started with Sweet Valley High. Each week, we read a Sweet Valley High novel and talk about the most beautiful twins in the land, Jessica and Elizabeth, who completely fucked up our ideas about being a girl in America. America. Today, we are talking about the 28th book in the series, Alone in the Crowd, where we meet clinically depressed Aspiring songwriter, Lynn Henry. Hey, all I know is somebody needs to get this girl a Wellbutrin and some Super Soul Sunday stat. I have to tell you, not an Oprah fan. I know this is going to be a point of contention (laughs) between you and me, but we'll deal with that later. She might help Lynn, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Then we'll welcome writer, weightlifter, and super nanny, Taylor Mahan, to talk about depression, jealousy, self-esteem, and the creative process. I mean, seriously... Are all artists narcissistic, depressed assholes? I think so. Yes. And then stay tuned because we've got a brand new Sweet Valley High fan fiction sci-fi edition featuring droids keyboardist Guy Chesney and a very strange twist. What could it be? (laughs) It's a twist of fate. (laughs) Adrian, this book was probably the most boring to me. 
that we've read so far. Really? Yes. I thought it was really dull. It really? was like, wah, wah, I want to write a song and become a musician. Like, join the rest of every teenager who ever <laughs> exists. Honestly, I thought this book was fascinating because we finally meet someone in Sweet Valley High who is just not so sunny. She's not sunny, but she's also like not terrible. She's just like, well, yeah, this is the first book that we've had where a girl becomes redeemed through her talents, not just her good looks. So it's not, it was like, I could see why you would find that boring. But <laughs> I would also say she was not just redeemed by her talent. She also had to be good looking. So let's recap the well, book a little yeah, bit. Yeah, she got beautiful too. Of course she did. It's Sweet Valley High. But let's start. Okay, so we meet in Alone in the Crowd, we meet the most depressed girl in school, Lynn Henry. Lynn Henry is so sad. So depressed. She is like, I don't have any friends. Zero friends. I know that I like music, but my dad is dead. My dad is dead. So he was a musician <laughs> and now I want to be a musician. But I can't because he was an insurance salesman. And she's like, and she there's no, no way to live your dreams. You can't no. live your dreams. So Lynn no. Henry. And, and here are some of her main problems. Let's list them. She's tall and she's thin. Big problem for Correct. poor Lynn. And she has brown hair. <laughs> she has brown hair. Which she's tall and she's cool thin. not cool in Valley High. I was like, this is a cross to bear. She also has frizzy hair and wears glasses. Did we mention the glasses Yeah, yet? she is Chicago hot. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> she's a Midwestern nine, a Sweet Valley four. Right, that is correct. <laughs> you know, one time I remember when I first moved to Chicago, one of the... And it, this will stick with me for forever. But it, someone said to me that Chicago is the only city where women try to look ugly. What? <laughs> what do you mean? In what way? I think it was probably like the beginning of the hipster looks, you know. Oh. But I always thought, this is fucking great because I now will finally be a six. <laughs> <laughs> Well, congratulations. Well, thank you very to much. You. Anyway, back to Lynn. So, Lynn, super fucking depressed. She doesn't brush her hair. She wears baggy clothes. She's an artist. Her mother works at a salon, obviously, as single mothers do. Yes. Works at a salon, wears a lot of white pants, very hot. She is obviously upset about Lynn's, you know, shoddy appearance. Lynn. I mean, literally, one of the chapters, she wakes up and she's like, I can barely get out of bed and put on these pants. I mean, bitch is depressed. She is so depressed. But I also have to go back to her mom because yeah. her mom triggered me a lot. <laughs> I <laughs> I grew up with a single mom and I remember her like she she was always super busy working. I'm sure as Lynn Henry's mom is always working. Always at the Silver Door you Salon always have to be spa. at the salon. So my mom, when she would take me out, I would dress like I normally would. And my mom would ask me why. <laughs> what do you mean? Were you she dressed would just like, be like a whore? why do you have to look like that all the time? And I remember one time I was wearing like an all black outfit, which is still my signature outfit, by the way. <laughs> With a pair of Converse. Correct. And my mom said to me, you look depressed. And I wanted to be like, mom, take a sign. <laughs> like, <laughs> Listen, I just want to say that I think perhaps this book must have been light on plot because we're already very clearly interested in digressing into our own depressions. <laughs> but let's stay on tap. This let's is the recap. Tap. Okay, Lynn, Enneagram 4, Lynn, artist. She's certain no one has ever felt the feelings that she's feeling. Which is nothing. Like, she's just like, I'm sad. Yeah. I have love. I'm like, on no the one loves I'm me. I'm on the outside looking in. Oh, wait, in. wait, wait, wait. So wait. she this ends is up... The this is the first Sweet Valley book 
that quoted the famed poet Emily Dickinson. Mr. Collins, oh, he comes He, he comes showed through, up for girl. us. Let me read it to you because it was so affecting to me. I'm nobody, exclamation point. Who are you? Are you nobody too? What? Mic drop. I'll tell you what? what. That shit affected Lynn in class. She was like, I am nobody. And more importantly, she loves to eat sandwiches at lunchtime with nobody yes. around. She has no one to sit with at the lunch table, which, to be honest, I found a little unbelievable because, like, even the, like, outcasts find each other. Oh, this is the moment you found it unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, so she's she's sitting at lunch. Yes. She's eating her sandwich by yes. herself. Elizabeth and Jessica notice her. And they're no, like, Jessica doesn't. Well, <laughs> I think Elizabeth is like, did you notice this, like, lonely lady who's yeah. kind of homely, maybe Chicago hot? Yes. <laughs> sandwich at the lunch table and Jessica's like yeah who gives a shit right so Lynn is continuing on with her like mopey attitude yes but then the big news happens she's walking home or walking to school one morning and she finds who walking along the street okay so Guy Chesney keyboardist for the droids cool guy in town suddenly moved to Lynn's neighborhood so now they have all these opportunities to walk to and from the school bus or school together and it's hot. You know what guy does? He talks about himself. He talks about his interests. He talks about the band. He talks about Linda Ronstadt. He never asks her a question. Panty drop. I was going to say, just like a dude, yeah. like just like a dude, he was like, you are so fascinating because all you do is listen to me. Yep, you've asked and me I questions. So I'm so in love into you. with you. I'm so you're, into you. You're just like the greatest person I've ever met. I also love this part because I'm a huge, huge music fan. Even as a of writer, the droids. No, <laughs> even as a writer, I always include some kind of music backdrop in everything I've written. But one of the things I think is really funny is this idea, especially in the '80s, that women didn't like music. What? Because well, because guy and very many movies afterwards, especially like in the '90s, Empire Records, for example, is like this idea that like, oh my God, there's a woman. Who likes music? Right. Who listened to a record once? <laughs> right. She's heard of this obscure band. She knows the way of the world. Well, you know what? Women are delicate creatures. I know. So music. they don't know everything. It was like when when uh, the flute went out of style, women just no longer had any interest. <laughs> <laughs> what? Anyway. Anyway. dances. Whatever. Anyway. Anyway. So then it is announced that... The droids are going to have a songwriting contest. And so Lynn, oh, she's like, she's, I'm the worst. I'm a loser. But, but I have a songwriting talent. I feel it inside of she me. Does. I need to like express myself. Yes. I need to stay up late at yes. night. I need to make sure my glasses yes. get dirty. My hair yes. gets messed up. Yes, because she's an artist. And you know what she does? She goes home. And there's this whole Elizabeth Gilbert big magic moment where Lynn, she strums her guitar and the muse visits her. And she just busts out this song. Would you like to hear some of the lyrics? I would love to. Okay. I know the song is going to speak to me. It's going to speak to our yes. audience. Unfortunately, I don't have the tune to this. But let me just, I'll give you some of the music. Day after day, I'm feeling kind of lonely. Day after day, it's him and him only. Something in his eyes made my hopes start to rise. But he's part of a world. That doesn't include me. Nothing he says could ever delude me. That delude really fucked me up. I'll never win. This is how it's always been. I'm on the outside. Looking, looking in. in. And what happens then? 
Well, then she's like, I'm going to, the song is so great. It's like the one thing I've done that's correct and, and perfect and amazing. Right. Right. And if I'm going to ever get anyone's attention, because I can't do it through my looks. Right. Because she's ugly. <laughs> right. She's I'm, tall and thin and brown haired. Yes. And then she's like, I'm going to submit the song to the droids songwriting contest yep. as an anonymous person yep. so that if it doesn't do well then no one will know. Right. But she didn't think about the fact that if it does do well, then everyone should well, know. Well, of course not, because she's an artist and she knows that she is worthless and everything she makes is bad. Meanwhile, Meanwhile Jessica. Jessica. Of course, always a B-plot. Here we yep. come. She is going to rock in a rocking chair. At a dance. <laughs> As a fundraiser for the cheerleaders. She's like, you know what our cheerleaders need? We need new uniforms. And in order for us to get new uniforms, we're all going to do a rocking chair rocking contest. Relay, yes. Yes. And so once we do, like everyone's going to raise money. And the further you go, the more money you make. Yes. So Jessica has decided that she's going to do that. She one day is driving through because she's like, I want to have this contest not just soon, but like Saturday night. Right. Well, of course, because there's no point in wasting time. She's going to get the droids to play. She's going to have this. I mean, it's really, this is, there's no point even discussing yes, this. I mean, the I'm cheerleaders, telling, nothing even happens at the dance. So. I'm telling you, the whole story is so boring. Okay, but because then Jessica, Because then Jessica's like, oh, well, let me find Guy Chesney instead of any other one else in the band. She pulls, her, uh, pulls him aside while he's walking yes. with Lynn. Yes. And then Lynn's like. And she spirits him away. And Lynn's like, oh. If I could only be Jessica Wakefield. And then she gets super jealous for some weird... everyone in Sweet Valley feels. It's how I feel right now. I think... You are literally Jessica. (laughs) Everyone knows... I am looking at your blue eyes and your gold hair. All right. Well, anyway, the big point. Let's get to the end. So, Guy Chesney listens to the song and becomes a fucking psycho. He's like, I must know who has written this song because not only do I love this song, but I love this song, Stress. This is exactly the same way that you felt when you heard My Body is a Wonderland <laughs> by John Mayer, right? The no. first time you heard that, you were like, this is no. the man I want to marry. For sure no. you would marry John Mayer. No. Well, I, you know I love a terrible man, so it's possible. <laughs> that is correct. Hey, is there a narcissist around? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let me get it. Okay, fine. I would marry John Mayer. <laughs> Thank you very much. I know you better than you know yourself. And then I'd be really unhappy, but fine. <laughs> So Guy runs around the high school being like, tell me who this is. Tell me who this is. He right. goes to Elizabeth. She is a reporter for the Ears and Eyes column yes. of the Oracle, yes. which is the school newspaper for Sweet yes. Valley High. So it's very important that she uses her like scoopy kind of skills, yes. her like She's gonna figure it out. She's yeah. Elizabeth. She's fucking her gumshoe, her gumshoes. Yeah. Uh, magic and she's like I have no idea who it is yeah but then she goes to the music center and she's like ooh look sheet music and she's like ooh look someone's singing it's very beautiful and she looks through the door and there is Lynn Henry giving a music lesson and Elizabeth Elizabeth puts the whole thing together and Lynn Henry runs to Elizabeth and is like please Because I'm not as pretty as Linda Ronstadt. That's correct. It's like literally her hang-up. It's like Linda Ronstadt is prettier than her. Also, I love Linda Ronstadt. But you know that nobody, or actually I would think like everybody at Sweet Valley High would love her song because her song is about making brown eyes blue. Guy Chesney loves Linda Ronstadt. So anyway, 
Basically, then Guy Chesney has a conversation with Elizabeth who mentions Linda Ronstadt. And because he had also talked with Lynn about Linda Ronstadt, he puts it all together that the songstress is Lynn. And then in the most unbelievable, so weird, like so weird, unreal detail, like unreal Guy hires a police sketch artist. Who happens to be a friend of his family. <laughs> to draw a picture of the mystery songstress by, I believe, the details he gave were about what the song made him think in his mind about the what the woman looked like. Well, at this point, he knew what Lynn, he knew it was Lynn. He so did, he, but like, he gave her he gave him descriptions. Literally, none of this makes sense. I just want to say no, it again. That guy like, hires a police sketch artist yes. to draw a picture of Lynn Henry. But that's not even the weirdest part. <laughs> the weirdest part is he's like he gets the sketch. And then he puts them on flyers. Flyers, yes. And then puts the flyers out throughout the whole school. The whole school. school. <laughs> the whole unmask school. Lynn. At lunchtime. Yes. And then all of a sudden, Lynn is just sitting there, again, alone in a crowd, <laughs> eating her sandwich, like thinking about how ugly she is, you know, hoping that one day someone will do her hair, right. maybe her mom's salon. Right. She doesn't know. But... Then everyone starts gathering around yes. her. And they're like, Lynn, Lynn, we know we you wrote this song. You wrote this song. You're so you smart. And Elizabeth had said this song was the most poignant, deep lyrics she had ever heard. I believe when the droids had played the song, when it was anonymous and they were sharing it with the school before yeah. Guy finds out yes. who it is, the words that Frassine Pascal uses is yeah. haunting. Yeah, and you know what? Haunting. These people had hollow notes at this time. So this is a big fucking compliment. Also, one last thing we forgot. Oh, wait, so there's two things. One is, so Guy unmasks her with his police sketch artist flyers. Everyone is like, you're so great. Then he takes her to the patio and he makes out with her. And then he's like, I love you. Yes. <laughs> Because at Sweet Valley High, all you have to do is be pretty, which we have also forgotten. That's what I was going to say. That's she a big was, moment. She was not the Lynn Henry we started the book with. No, no. Because she cannot only be redeemed by her talents. If she did that while still ugly, this would not be a Sweet Valley High book. So in the middle, at some point, Lynn is like, maybe I'm tired of being depressed. Nobody gave her a Wellbutrin. She did not take up yoga. There was no sort of wellness turn. I think she just wanted maybe to get that Guy Chesney D. And so she's like, fine, I'll brush my hair. So she meets up with her mom, Silver Door stylist, and she becomes, she takes off those glasses she takes them off she probably undid her ponytail undid that ponytail <laughs> Got, Shake, shaked it out she literally i think wore a jumpsuit yes yeah her, her mom had bought her for one point but the whole point is you know she got she, beautiful she got beautiful and of course once you're beautiful at sweet valley high you get everything you want which right. totally explains why i don't have anything <laughs> taylor mahan received an MFA from the Mishner Center in Austin, Texas. So you know this bitch means some business. Business. Taylor, I will pay you $5 right now via Venmo if you'll sing Lynn Henry's song, Outside Looking In. I mean, I'd do it if I knew the words. I don't know the words. Oh, well, we can supply them to you. All right, put them in the the chat. I'll sing it. Let's do it. I've had... I've had a gin drink and one flute of champagne. So okay, listen. Let me what just drink? Which gin drink are you yeah. having? Um, I made some ginger and orange simple syrup and poured it in some gin and then put a champagne float on top of it. Oh, oh, okay. Ginger and champagne. 
always. I know. A great so combo. Good. Great combo. Um, okay, listen. And then I then I drove around to Target fucking stressed out about this mic situation. <laughs> okay, listen. I'm going to give you the first two lines. You'll be able to remember them. You just give them to me how you hear them, how you think okay. Guy Chesney he'll, hears them, okay? Okay. The lines are, day after day, I'm feeling kind of lonely. Day after day, it's him and him only. Day after day, I'm feeling kind of lonely. Day after day, it's him and him only. That's like really good. Yeah, she, <laughs> she sounds so sweet. Yeah, I mean, maybe Lynn Henry isn't as big of a douche as we thought she was. I, I mean, I'm, Mahan, I'm no Linda Ronstadt. Swift. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I think it's well established. I fucking hate Taylor Swift though. So, <laughs> All right. Let's talk about this. I book. actually hated Taylor Swift for a long time <laughs> until her Cottagecore album most recently. I keep I was, hearing the Cottagecore album is great. I, I was shook. I was like, this has a point of view. It's not about breaking up with boys. I was super into it. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, Adrian. Hey, but no. do you want me to do my version of the song? Cause Yes, I, I'm probably, yes, I'm I do. Probably, yes. I'm probably more punk rock. I literally pitched it to you as we opened the show singing the song and you said no. So I am thrilled to see you showing up right now. Let's hear it. Okay, you ready? <laughs> day after day. <laughs> I'm feeling kind of lonely. Day after day. It's him and him only. <laughs> wow. Our very own riot girl. Elizabeth Gomez. <laughs> oh my go. God. Amazing. I Amazing. would sing it in like a hollow notes style. <laughs> day after day. Or like go for Phil that. Collins, you know, like a Phil Collins moment. Anyway, anyway, that's mm-hmm. Lynn's song. But let's back up. Let's talk about the genesis of Lynn's song, which is depression. I mean. <laughs> oh, what'd you think about Lynn's depression, Taylor? I mean, well, okay. It was real. It was clinical. It was like a hundred percent clinical depression. And yes, I feel it reminds like me of all my teenage daughters. I mean, like this is, this is like, this is the kind of her behavior is the kind of shit that had my teachers pulling my parents aside being like, we think Taylor should see somebody like it's, it's a little fucked up. Did you think this was like an accurate portrayal of a depressed teen? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's because, no other answer for that. Yes. I mean, like you have no, I mean, you don't have anything for like this bitch especially has nothing real to be depressed. I mean, I guess her dad died. That's sad. I mean, well, okay. of course, they I guess, gave her, her, I guess no, her dad died. But I mean, they gave her that backstory. They were like, well, we need some reason for her to be so angsty. Sure. Her dad died, but they never told us how or why. Exactly. Well, that's, because, that's because Sweet Valley High teenagers have no real depth. So this right. is like the very first one where it's like, oh, maybe I have feelings that are not like stabbing someone else in the back. Yeah. yeah. So like Elizabeth found this book to be very boring, but it was I was boring. also like, but this is the first time we saw a character. I think that's a really astute point where we've seen a character who's been an attempt at being more three-dimensional, right? Like she is very clearly fucking depressed. <laughs> I was like, we got to get this girl a Wellbutrin. We got to get her to see the therapist. We got to pull her out of the depths. But instead, you know, who shows up guy chesney well and i mean the other thing that like really struck me is how how generic the like body angst of teenage girls is like it's just it's so we we were all thinking the same shit and it literally does not matter what you looked like like you were thinking the same shit as lynn and everybody else when you looked in the mirror i mean i wasn't thinking i was 
too skinny. I mean, because I was not. <laughs> but, but I was definitely thinking like, I'm tall. I look like a man. I'm fucking gross. Like nobody wants anything to do with me. I'm so disgusting. And then like my mom would tell me that, you know, I was pretty, but if I would make more of an effort, then I would feel better. And I'd be like, fuck you. Like, I mean, that stuff was, <laughs> that stuff was very true to life, I feel like. But it's also like, as an adult, it's so hard to have sympathy for that. I'm like, you don't have a real problem. And also like, I I actually, I would disagree with that. I think that you have tons of sympathy for it because even as an adult, especially as a woman, you still carry those feelings. That's true. Um, And one of the things that I think I, I, I remember when I was reading the book, one of my favorite moments when I was reading this and, and like, again, about teenage angst and like being a teenage girl is we had a guest a couple episodes ago, Dina Nina Martinez, who is a uh, trans female she had said to us that one of the best things that she had uh, in her life experience was not to be a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> so awesome. And um, it did make me think, though, like this is a whole thing even about as like I'm a parent of, uh, you know, uh, a, 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 cis, a cis female girl, like a cis female. And then um, my younger dot, my younger child is is considering, you know, kind of altering their gender, though I'm not really sure how far that's going to go or what that looks like because we haven't gotten that deep into that conversation. But it is amazing to me that during this whole period that both of them have expressed their like body image issues so differently. And one of the things that was very painful for me when they were being, uh, when they were being raised, I guess, or I was raising them is uh, when they would tell me that as body positive as I am, as much as I'm like, Hey, you, you, you look beautiful. You look amazing today. Oh, you're so great. Is the times that I would like look in the mirror myself and be like, I'm fat. Mm. And it always really like never, I never thought about like how they consumed that information and how I was constantly perpetuating the uh, stereotype of being that way and critical of everything about my body critical. But that's also started when I was like six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think to your point, Lynn is like the most relatable character we've had in the Sweet Valley High universe because yes. like her shit is not perfect. And she's like, I mean, who doesn't sort of feel alone in high school, right? It's like the fucking worst. Right. I mean, I thought she was just like a very good stand-in for like, like a teen, you know, a teenage girl. Like I, I feel like, um, you know, I could relate to her in a way that like, I definitely never related to Jessica and Elizabeth when I was reading these books <laughs> as a kid. And like, uh, I, you know, I, like it, it manif- like it didn't look exactly the same for me, but like that feeling of like, I'm like, why, why am I not as good as everybody else? Like, why doesn't anybody understand me? And it, and it kind of like, doesn't really matter if that's the truth or not. Like that feeling is so real that it might as well be true, you know? Like, and I, like, that's the thing that like, uh, I was kind of surprised by, I had like real sympathy for her. Um, after I just said I didn't, but I actually did. Like I had like, (laughs) I had real sympathy for her because I, I mean, I remember those feelings and like, they don't feel generic. They don't feel like, melodramatic when you're having them. They feel so real. And when you're a teenager, you think there's this one thing that's like going to be the solution to that feeling. Right. And so like, like Guy Chesney, like Guy Chesney. Exactly. <laughs> but like and like Guy Chesney would finger bang me. Exactly. <laughs> that's real. <And> then <laughs> like your fucking outlook changes. I mean, for sure. <laughs> I was like, I'm finger bangable. Cool. <laughs> but the I mean, digits in me. Well, that's Honestly, something 
that's something I thought about a lot when I was reading this is like how much of the currency in high school is like whether a boy wants to fuck you and like I mean, how that's of part it, yeah. of that's part of why I didn't re- like why I didn't know I was a lesbian for so long because I still wanted boys to fuck me because that's like how you know you're you exist when you're a teenage girl you know like yeah. and it didn't matter if like I wanted to fuck them it was like do they want to fuck me like am I visible you know and like right. that's that's the thing. Well, that's a part in the book where Lynn, Lynn Henry is talking to a guy and like the, the, from the, you know, I don't know if you noticed this Taylor, but the, the point of views of these books, just like <laughs> trust me, Taylor, Taylor noticed. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not really sure if it was guy's point of view or Lynn's, but there, there's this whole like um, exchange where guy is like, this woman matters. She's super cool because she just spends all her time listening to me. And at the same time, Lynn is like, I'm listening to him. We obviously connect. Well, yes. We're in love. That's something, I mean, that's something I thought about. Like I, I, did I, te- did, was, did I text you about that, Adrian? Like I, I tried to like, you know, not blow my wad when I, when I read it, but like I was reading it and like, as I was reading, I was like, holy shit, this is so ridiculous. I have so many thoughts. And that was definitely one of them. I was like, I was like, oh guys, like Lynn is so special. Cause she doesn't talk. <laughs> Listen, I was like, that is the most male perspective. Yes. When I was reading this, I was like, well, that's true in high school. And you know what? I'm a 41, 40 year old (laughs) woman on the dating scene. And it is still true today. You know how guys like you, if you mirror back their opinions to them and you (laughs) act pleasant and you look pretty enough and you are quiet and listen to their thoughts. I mean, you know, I, the real bummer about that is then what you said, Elizabeth, that like Lynn thinks that they've had a connection, right? So when there is time for the droids to have this songwriting contest, Lynn is going to go home and she's going to write a song about Guy. You know, she's going to pour all into it. Well, even by by um, submitting this song that she very confidently is like, this is a great song. I feel very strong about it. I feel like I can totally submit the it. News came. She still had to be a small person. Yeah. Right. So when she decides instead of being like, I did something good, I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to take the chance. I'm going to put my name on it. Her choice is to be small. Yeah. Which is something that we're taught at a very young age. Um, but I also keep thinking about in this terms of... Um, the way that they kind of uh, present this relationship between the two of them. And Taylor, I noticed that when I sent you the book, you, your, your email address had records in it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know Taylor loves music. I also love music, but I also felt like one of the, the ways that I, as a teenager connected with dudes, when I went to be one of the dudes, one of the guys was to know all the bands and the music, right? 100%. That was their language. That wasn't my language. I wasn't allowed to share that with my friends unless I was doing dances. <laughs> <laughs> a little expose, come go with me. Over. <laughs> but like, if I really wanted to be cool with one of the dudes, I always had to be like, I really like Metallica. <laughs> Oh, I like Metallica. So what was your experience with music and like your teenage, like how, I think that you probably, I'm assuming, I don't know, you're going to explain this, but I assume that you probably were also someone like me and that you connected through that. That's a great point. And not when I thought about when I was reading this, but yes, a hundred percent. Like that's, I was raised by a dad who was really into music and there was always, there was always like records playing in my house. Like if everybody was home, there was always like music playing throughout the house. Um, and my dad like took me to my first concert when I was like 11, like, um, 
it was, which was really sweet. It was Tori Amos because I was very of angry. Course. <laughs> of course, of course. I was going to say in my head, I was like, my mom took me to New Kids on the Block when I was 12, but I almost didn't want to admit it because I knew both of you had cool stories. <laughs> oh no, mine isn't cooler. <laughs> well, my- Tori Amos is very like on brand. It's very on brand for me. Very on brand, yeah. 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 Um, but, but yeah, I, I think it, it was definitely a way that I connected with dudes. And I mean, I've always been really competitive with dudes because I mean, because I'm a lesbian, (laughs) but like, but I, but before I realized I was competing with them and not like trying to fuck them, I, uh, music was like a big thing. Like my best friend who is still my best friend. Um, she would have like house shows, um, in her basement. She had a cool mom who'd like, let her have like the kids over to like their bands would play. So like, there'd be like, you know, five or six bands playing in Lindsay's basement. And, you know, it was like such a badge of honor to be like the girl who like knew the guys in the bands and like was cool with them and like, wasn't a groupie. And like, you know, that was like very much a part of my identity in high school. Um, and uh, but I also really loved music and really cared about it. And I didn't, I didn't play it. I'm not a musician, um, but I, but I really love it. And I listen to a lot of it. And it's, it's something that my wife and I connected on when we met. And um, yeah, it's like a, it was a big way of relating to people. And it was a way of separating myself from other people too. Like, I think yes. it was this way that I felt special, you know, like I liked good music and like, you know, which like in retrospect also is not correct. I did not, but like, <laughs> But I mean, you know, I was like, but I was like edgy, you know, and that was, you're still edgy. (laughs) Oh my God. I remember that when I was in high school, two of the girls that I loved the most was a girl named Cheryl and, um, Kelly. And they looked like Robert. They're like, they both were blonde. One was like kind of the blonde, real pretty one with like big blue eyes. And then the other one was like, she was also super, super pretty, but she was, um, you know, a little bit more robust. And, um, they loved the cure and they had like their hair spiked up all the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember like just sitting in class, watching the two of them being like, these two people are incredibly amazing people. And I want to be like them so bad. Mm -hmm. And so I got into the cure, but then the cure for me was really interesting because everyone would say that the cure was a really depressing band. But if you actually did a deep dive into the cure, they're really fun. They are. (laughs) I fully agree. Yes. And so I was well, a huge I can't fan. can't even participate in any of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, I was a huge fan of it. But the whole point is like that there were certain songs that really just like spoke to me. And then I could like really connect into my feelings. Mm-hmm. So also at the time, I think Twin Peaks was really famous. Like at the, or it was like a big show. And um, what was her name? Julie something. And there's a song that would be part of the theme song of the TV show. Which yes, Julie. Um, Cruz. Uh, Julie Cruz. Yes. And the song would be like falling, yeah. Falling. And I would, yes. just, I would sit in my room yes. and just cry, like what I imagine Lynn Henry. I was yes, okay. Lynn this Henry is the thing. Did that. This was this is the teenage girl experience. Like I like that was a pastime for me. Was like putting on music, lying down with my head next to the speaker, yes. and yes. crying while yes. I listened to music, like. I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing tonight. Like I am putting on some silver chair. <laughs> I'm going to was... album. I'm gonna listen to that album about male anorexia and I'm going to cry. <laughs> I was never as depressed as the two of you in you... high school. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. one thing I want to talk about though, 
really is about kind of Lynn's worldview that is like also really wrapped up in both like her self-esteem and this kind of like serious jealousy because her jealousy what's interesting to me about it it's really the jealousy of a depressed person because she is jealous of literally every single person <laughs> just for being a person. But do you think it's jealousy or comparison? Cause I think you and I've well, talked about both. this in like reading these books and going yeah. through these books, there's always these moments of like, so-and-so is so much better than so-and-so. Yes. Someone so mm-hmm. looks much better and this has entire more. entire series is about rating systems that you can like mentally envision. I mean, it tells us like 30 times that Lynn is not pretty. She's not as pretty as Jessica and Elizabeth or Linda Ronstadt or, or Linda Ronstadt or Lila. I mean, you know, and in the previous book we read with the slutty girl, like the guy she was dating was like explicitly told was not good looking. So it's like, it really rates. It wants you to categorize the tears of teenhood in that mm-hmm. way. So how do you know when it's jealousy versus like comparison or are they the same? Are they interchangeable? Taylor? I mean, well, <laughs> I, I felt like, I felt like it was comparison more than, more than jealousy. Like, I don't think, cause it didn't feel to me like she begrudged anybody else that it was more like, why can't I just be more like that? You know, it was this like, what's wrong with me that I can't have this thing that seems to be so easy for other people, which like, I definitely remember feeling as a kid, like especially about other girls. Um, Was there any particular girls in, in, in that specifically stand out in your mind? Yeah, about call it? them bitches out. Well, no, you know who I really felt the way that the, the most that way about is my best friend. <laughs> Wait, oh, before- and by the way, have felt that way about Lindsay till like last year. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> I, I just think she's the fucking coolest person. Like I yes. remember like, I remember uh, meeting her like she was I knew of her before we became friends. And when like she had these I remember in junior year, she had these like white vinyl bondage pants that she got from Hot Topic. Yes. She worked at Hot Topic. And uh, she had like the cool like scene girl haircut, you know, like dyed black. Um, She, you know, had a bunch of Weezer t-shirts, like shit like that. And uh, I just thought she was so Weezer (laughs) t-shirts. You're a little slow on that. Sorry. <laughs> and like, Something I bought my sweater. We had a, yes, we had a, we had a class together senior year and she started talking to me and like, she is, she's a super nice person and always has been. And like, when she started talking to me, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, is this a trick? Like, and I was not, I was never jealous of her. I just like really wanted to be her friend. Cause I thought she was so cool. And then like, when she wanted to be my friend, I was like, she must be confused. Like she doesn't understand <laughs> like, who, like who she's talking to right now. But yeah, like, but I bet you Taylor, lots of people thought you were cool too. Oh my God. I mean, like, that's what Adrian, before yes. I met you, Adrian was always like, you've got to meet my friend Taylor. She is so well, cool. Let me also say when I met Taylor, Taylor is an Enneagram nine. So the vibe that she gives <laughs> off is I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> we like to call it aloof. Yes. I mean, it's very I like, sexy, by the Taylor. way, Taylor. Aloof <laughs> is super oh hot. Oh my God. It took so long for me to wear her down. <laughs> She was like, God damn it. Now I have a best friend with a monogram purse. (laughs) I totally get that, Taylor, because I was like, maybe I won't give this woman my number. (laughs) Listen, I will be hazed by both of my best friends all night long. That is fine. But I do want to talk about self-esteem because 
you guys are my best friends. And recently Taylor came to visit me. It was wonderful. It was the highlight of my summer. And she was like, Adrian, you have low self-esteem. And, yes. then, and then she left. <laughs> no, she didn't. She, she said, she said that to you. And then I came over later that day. And we and talked about it. Yeah. it. And then you were like, Elizabeth, Taylor says that I have low self-esteem, but she's wrong. And I was like, no, bitch, she's right. <laughs> Listen, I just want to say to all the listeners who know me, you're probably like, no, Adrian doesn't because I'm like, come across. Like, no, people wouldn't say that about me. But now but, I've had to have a real reckoning. But here's the thing. And I feel like you haven't, like, we haven't gotten into your shit enough in this episode so far. So I'm like Please, turning Taylor. it back around hey, on you. Do it. Do it. I, I think specifically where your low self-esteem comes up and where it relates back to this book is this comparison of your artist, like your artist status to other people's artist status and like what it means to be a real, real artist. And am I a real writer? And am I this? And am I that? Like, that's where so much of your self-esteem stuff comes up. And it's this, it like, that to me is like such a, like, you're very, you're very like Lynn in that way where like Lynn is like objectively very fucking good at this thing. And she just cannot like stay in that space of being like, she might have a moment where she's like, you know what, this is pretty good, but like, she can't stay there, you know? And that like, I feel like that is where a lot of your self-esteem stuff is. Like, I mean, like, did you identify with that? Yeah. I mean, you know, one reason I was really excited to read this book, because I did not think this book was going to be like a big page turner, but I really- And it wasn't. (laughs) I was like, I remember getting to like page 20 and I was like, please fucking kill me before this book ends. (laughs) Well, anyway, one reason I really wanted to read this book with you two specifically was to talk about like creative life, creative process, and like where- all three of us come at it differently and what our histories are and where we are now. And so, yes, everything Taylor is saying is true because she, she knows when she met me, I was in a very abusive MFA program and I definitely, she's nodding just so you know, but I also, I don't use that word lightly. Like it no, it was, was it was abusive as fuck. It yeah. was extremely abusive and I rolled in there and then a gram three, somebody who's already like gaping for attention and validation. These are things I know now at 40, but so I rolled in there at 29 years old, like gaping need for people to tell me I was okay and I was good enough. And what they did was shame the shit out of me for four years. And I know that people are not, everyone is not into the Enneagram. This is not an Enneagram podcast, but I'm in the shame. (laughs) (laughs) That's, I I will say this. Like, I don't, I wouldn't say that like every artist comes to their artwork or their like creative side the same way. But one thing that I think the three of us have in common is our need to feel independent, but our need to consistently belong. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's always the struggle. The struggle is like, we're like, we want to feel normal in some ways. And I'm not saying like that I have to have a monogrammed purse. (laughs) (laughs) I just say that that I do want, I want to feel like I have a peer group or like friends or that like I have some kind of semblance of like what I would consider something that I view as normal. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, I'm not willing to always sit down for that. I'm not Mm -hmm. always willing to like pull back and shut up about things. And so I think the thing that is happening which might be a little bit more apparent when you look at someone like Taylor and me who have kind of like, we're like, we're just going to live the life the, the best that we can in these kind of fucked up situations that we're always in. But whereas you, Adrian, have kind of gone a little bit more toward the mainstream, kind of like look and feel. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like you're like I'm all into the sorority. Basically, she's like Adrian is our basic. She's friend. our basic bitch. 
She's like, I need a Starbucks club stat. Um, <laughs> but like, even, Oh my God, wait, can I just interject to say we went to Starbucks so many fucking times when I was up there last Girl, time. I know. <laughs> Believe listen, me, I know. Listen. I know our Starbucks issue. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just <laughs> so, but I was gonna say is that sometimes, like, what I think I've come to realize, and what I even see, a lot, you know, I even see my basic bitch friend Adrian, is that <laughs> we're kind of like the cool outsiders, mm-hmm. you know. And it's Who, like I am. You're, you're yes. in your peer group for uh, sure. Yes. I'm split. So I have like my sorority friends and like those, those people. And I exist in that world. And then I have my writer friends and in my sorority friends, I'm the most alternative, which is hilarious. And then in my writer friends, I'm the most basic. That is not true though, because like, I look at you all the time and I'm like, this bitch is a survivor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she, she has made her way in this world. And she's like, I mean, like, I know that that's how you perceive yourself sometimes. And I know, especially like when you're dealing with someone like me and Taylor, but you also kind of are attracted to, I mean, you're attracted to us because you are part of this like kind of outsider. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're looking for all the time. You know, it's this validation of like, how can I somehow justify what I'm doing, but I don't see the world the same way that these other people do. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's like, that's, that's very Lynn too, right? Like, I mean, that's, I thought a lot actually, Adrian, about like stuff that you've told me about baby Adrian of just like this idea of like, I want to belong, but like, also I'm, I'm something different. Like there's, you know, there is something like special and different about you and like, you know, wanting to express that, but not knowing how and thinking like, okay, well, I'm going to try and do the, you know, the mainstream things that are that, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to try and be the best at mainstream things because that's going to show people how special I am. But like, there's, you know, it's more complicated than that, you know? Right. And it's a clear path, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you just mm-hmm. kind of stick through that path, but as you're going through that path, you kind of realize like, what the fuck's happening? This is not like, cool. I also want to give Adrian a shout out because <laughs> <laughs> there was this moment, there was this moment in our friendship, you know, when I first met her and we've only been <laughs> friends for a few years, but that's not true. It's been at least like four now. <laughs> But there is a time where she like bought like kind of like a, a leather jacket, kind of motorcycle edgy. And I was like, my work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, both the two of you have been working on my style for like a minute. I haven't been in Ann Taylor for years, but I want to come back. I love that too, because she'll send me texts and she'll be like, Taylor told me I can't wear this. And I'm like, Taylor's right. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. Listen, you know what? You're both strong bitches and I don't make a lot of decisions without consulting you. That's 100% true. But I want to continue talking about self-esteem and jealousy. I really do. Cause I think these are important things that we mm-hmm. talk, we don't talk enough about as like adult women. So we've identified Taylor said, I have low self-esteem. You agreed. Then I got a therapist. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> that's done. But what about you bitches? You guys are like, Oh, my self-esteem is fucking great. I, well, mine was, mine was non-existent for so long. And I, I do have, I would say, I mean, I've done a lot of therapy. I've taken a lot of medication. Um, I, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I mean, that's the thing about, you know, like all joking aside, like I was a very mentally ill teenager. Uh, there was like something really wrong with me (laughs) and like, uh, nobody, you know, I, I'm just at that age where like, nobody knew what to, like people knew you should do something about it, but nobody like knew what that was, you know? And, um, so I went to therapy for the first time I got on medication and went to therapy for the first time when I was 17. But I would say like, in terms of being like stable and in good, like mental health, like that's been very recent, like in the last three to five years. Yeah. Um, 
And a big part of that has been working on my self-esteem. And, you know, one of the initial sort of tasks that um, my therapist and I worked on was like, was uh, we would, she would call it self-love. And I like literally, like when she said self-love, I would get sick. Like I wanted to barf. Like I just, <laughs> that's such a disgusting concept. You know, you're like, shut up therapist. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> fucking was like, cheese ball. I was like, that's fucking gross. I refuse. Like, Don't you know, no one could love me. Not even me. <laughs> and it's this thing too. It's this thing too of me of like, I had this idea, right. That like, uh, like hating myself is what kept me from being a bad person. You know, like also if probably I, you got your sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, I mean, hating yourself is the best to do like jokes. It's so it's so fucking funny. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I can't that must relate be to why people. I didn't make it as a comedian. <laughs> no. I mean, this is why we're friends though. Like, I can't be friends with somebody who can't like just sort of like poke fun at yeah. themselves and like how you sometimes you just kind of want to fucking die. Like that's just, that's just the way it is, you know? Our producer and, today was like, hey, I could get hit by a bus today. I'd be happy. <laughs> he was, he was really into it. But everybody stay tuned because we got him, we conned him into singing a little ditty during our fan fiction yes. moment. So you definitely want to stay tuned for that. But Elizabeth Gomez. Yeah. Your what's, self-esteem. what's your self-esteem story? I mean, my self-esteem is bullshit. It's like, I don't have, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't have, what I tell people a lot of times, which I think is really interesting, uh, in the context of like how we present ourselves. So a lot of people meet me, they're like, you're such an extrovert. You're so like fun and like crazy, but really true. Like, that's a true like reaction to hanging out. Yes. But the truth is that I'm not an extrovert. I'm very scared of people <laughs> and I like get very nervous in when I meet people. So what I do is I just keep talking. I just keep talking and talking and talking. Cause I think what I've heard you say before, which rings more true to me is that it's more of like a trauma response that you were like an army brat. You moved around a lot. Yeah. And so you had to charm people and you had to learn to do it. And so when there are people you turn it on. Yes. But I, I again, so that, where does that come from? That comes from this place of feeling awkward. Yeah. Of course. So there's like this feeling of like being awkward and no one's going to like me. And so now I have to just keep talking. And one of the things that tip to all of our listeners out there. If you want to make friends, the best thing to do is to start asking them about themselves and then let them start talking. And then every now and then, even though you're not listening, you go, oh, okay. And what do you do for a living? And then just let them go. And then just repeat like every third word they say. Yes. Just like Lynn and Guy. (laughs) All you got to do is repeat it back. (laughs) But it's, it's always been like that. Like I, my mom, so for me, like my history has been my mom, um, when I was young, very young was like, you're fat and you're ugly. And then my dad left when I was a young child. So he didn't give a shit about me. And then like my first boyfriend, um, that I had like, well, not, he wasn't like boyfriend, but the guy that I was kind of seeing off and on for a couple of years, he like had sex with me. I lost my virginity. The next day he's dating someone else. Oh, fuck. <laughs> right. Then that like the next guy that I'm with, it's a major uh, relationship was he's like my domestic I talk about this pretty openly but it's also sometimes hard to revisit is like I had a man who like basically was my boyfriend I lived with him and he beat the shit out of me and he you know raped me repeatedly for for a number of weeks so uh that was my next guy you know and his that abuse came very slowly like that abuse was Mm -hmm. like when I met him he was like you're the greatest and then Mm -hmm. toward the end of it he was just like don't say anything at this party because everyone's gonna think you're stupid Mm. so myself. And then I, then I get married to a man who's just basically like stealing my money and cheating on me. So for me, while you're birthing his children, while I'm pregnant with his kid. (laughs) Um, so for me, it's, it's always been like, what is my value? What is my worth? And I've never Mm -hmm. been able to feel a hundred percent 
confident about things until recently over the last few years where I'm like, my value and worth isn't in what I look like. Mm-hmm. It is in how I, how I conduct myself. Right. Mm-hmm. So like that, I am a loyal friend mm-hmm. that I will be honest with someone who asked me that if I tell you that I love you, I would never say that to you unless I deeply meant mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And that like, I have a work ethic and I have these kids that I'm raising and I want to be the best thing that, you know, the best thing I want them to look at me at one point and be like that my mom's so cool. And so even though I've done a lot of things and I have been somewhat successful in areas that I've worked in, I will always feel small, Mm. but I also am okay with staying in that space because I have such a creative outlet to feel bigger. Does that make sense? Makes total sense to me. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it that makes, got deep. <laughs> no, I'm glad it did because, you know, I, I think what's interesting to me is when Taylor told me that I had low self-esteem, the thing that like, I was like, I can't believe this is because to me, self-esteem is something you work out in high school and then you move on. Girl, no. You're like, you're Girl, like oh, I'm not cute enough. And then you're like, okay, now I'm an adult. I've moved on. Right. But I mean, and that's so, not what self-esteem is. It's about self-worth and worth is yeah. yes, deeper. Than yeah. And yes, so, Taylor. Yeah. I think she's, I think she's totally right. Listen, I mean, there are a reason why the two of you are my oracles and I come to you for everything <laughs> because sometimes you have insights that like I don't have. And so I think everything that you're saying is is super interesting because you are very confident, very beautiful. You're like, I'm going to roller skate and I'm going to put it on TikTok. You're like, I'm fucking hot. I'm cool. And you know that you are those things. So it's interesting. I wonder if it's just, you know, part of the condition of being like a middle-aged woman that we're always going to have that feeling of like, we should tone it down, be smaller. Right. Well, but I think that it's also about claiming like being okay. Okay. So let me just put it this way then, you know, even though I don't feel as, and you know, Adrian and I have been talking about this a lot lately because I've been thinking about the idea that I don't think that I'm a smart person. Like I don't have an MFA and I never finished college and all these things. And I've had all these like terrible relationships is that like, instead of me feeling like I could be those things, I kind of go, well, this is now where I live. Mm. And, And instead of being like, why not be this? I'm kind of more like this place is great. <laughs> like this, you know, I'm, I can be small and feel great and be okay with it and like, let it be what it is and not have to search out beyond that to find my value. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that is coming to me as I'm listening to you, Adrian, is like, I think our idea of what self-esteem is, is very can be very shallow. I don't think self-esteem actually has a lot to do with like our feelings about our looks or anything like that. It has to do with, um, because you're right. Like I don't have a lot of insecurity about my looks. I don't have a lot of insecurity about sort of like surface shit about me. My insecurity is like, am I actually a piece of shit and everyone's going to find out, you know, it's like this, Uh, it's this way deeper thing, you know, you just pierced my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's the thing. Because I don't, I don't know. I think I clearly have some like unpacking of my personality that I need to do and that I am trying to do to understand more because I would never say that about myself, except as Taylor would say, it all comes out sideways for me. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I would never be like, I would never walk into a room and be like, do all these people hate me or am I a piece of shit? I'd be like, Hey, it's cool. Like I'm going to do my thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But then it comes out when I'm like trying to work on my novel, then I experience a shit ton of agony. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this is, I mean, Elizabeth, I'm so surprised to hear you say that you don't feel like you're a smart person. That's like, I mean, and that's, that's kind of the other part of self-esteem. It's like where those wounds are, are like, not where people would like, it would never occur to me to be like, Oh, Elizabeth doesn't feel smart. Like you're obviously a smart person. I've never been like, Oh, Elizabeth's probably insecure about her intelligence. And it's the same, but, but you are too, Adrian. And I think it's, it's like, it's so much more common for a smart person to be insecure about their intelligence than the other way around, you know? And like, I think that's, that's the thing about this internal processing of self-esteem. And again, like, you know, and this is, this is exactly what's going on in that book. It's in the book. It's like, I am like by all external measures, right? Like Lynn is great at this thing, but it doesn't fucking matter because what's happening internally is you know, is telling her a completely opposite story. And like, if the stories we're telling ourselves are, you know, the opposite of what's true, like that's what takes precedence is the stories we tell ourselves, you know? And that's like, that shapes how you interact with the world. I will say I was very jealous of Lynn though, because she could be quiet. And that's something that I always wish that I could do. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, because like the worst thing, the worst combination is being like a self-hating person who can't shut the fuck up, you know? Listen, oh you're my very God. smart. You're... And I think you get like a little like, oh, I won't say my opinion or I won't say what's going on. But then when you get Taylor to open up, you're like, oh yeah, she's got lots of opinions and she's super fucking smart. And I'm glad I heard them. Well, yeah. and I also, I also appreciate what she's saying because I, I, I mean, I get what you're saying, but Taylor, I think, you know, you, you to me are, are very, very bright. And I, I, the times that I've interacted with you and, and known you or like been around with you, I always laugh and I always feel welcome. And I think that that's a, a kind of like, for me, it's like, very, like an honor. Like, I love that feeling when I feel like I'm genuinely uh, welcomed into someone's heart. Aww. So thank well, you. I, lo- I love you. And I love that Adrian loves you. And you're like, you're a good, like for me, like, that's the thing. That's the thing that like, that I am so happy to have left behind in high school. Right. Is like, if, if you love my friend, then I love you. Like that's, and that's like, that expands your community and it just invites more people into your, like you get more people in your heart that way. And like one thing, one thing I've never been is jealous. And that's something that I'm really grateful for because I just have like all of these friends that I met because they were really good friends to my other friends. And like, that's just such a cool, like, that's such a cool way to open up your, your heart and your life. And like, I know that like, you know, when I'm, when Adrian's like, you're, you have to meet, you have to meet Elizabeth. You have to meet anybody. I'm always like, yeah, I do. Cause I'm going to like them, you know? And it's just like, that's the best thing about being an adult, right? It's like, you don't have to be like, oh, like, am I had to pretend I like this person? You know, like, <laughs> Ew, the answer party. is yes. Sometimes <laughs> if you're working as a bartender, <laughs> I mean, a hundred percent, but I mean, Possibly this is why, this is why I'm a nanny. I only work for, I only have to, you know, pretend I like children who I do like most of the time. <laughs> Well, that's one of us, Adrian. <laughs> well, did we start our fan fiction? No, because I still oh. want to talk a little bit She's about. Got, she got more more things in her brain. Yeah, no, I want to talk about creative process a little bit because, like, oh yeah, you were talking about like not finishing college. I have an MFA, but I'm like, as you're saying that, I'm like, well, I'm no better off from it. If anything, mm-hmm. I'm. I've been damaged. <laughs> I mean, literally, I finished my MFA. I think 10 years ago, I mean, a long time ago, 
mm-hmm. or tw- or eight years ago. What was it? I don't know. The point is more than five. Long enough that these psychic wounds should have healed by now. And instead- Oh, but like why, where does that metric come from? Why should it have healed by now? I know. You're so I, good I, at that. I completely agree with you. And I, well, I also think that sometimes, you know- the thing about the creative process is it isn't just like, if there's not a timeline, there's also a moment where it's right. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying like, it was interesting to me that you were kind of talking about not feeling worthy because of these things. And I'm like, I have these things. And all it did was reinforce that I'm not worthy. And they just told me that for like four Mm -hmm. years. I mean, literally, they used to, we would submit our workshop stories. And then our professor would make everyone in the workshop vote on whether or not they liked the story. Holy smokes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So not only would you vote, so let's say it was my story and you're my best friend at workshop, right? So you say, yes, I liked this story. So then he would be like, well, what'd you like about it? And you'd be like, well, I liked this one character. And he'd be like, really? You like that fucking character? And then he'd flip the story open to like whatever he thought was a bad part, read it aloud and then shame you for saying you liked it while also shaming me for having written it. I mean, the shit was fucked up. I mean, like, I think the key word that you're saying right now is he. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I'm just saying like, you know, I, it's just interesting to me as a 40 year old woman, you know, I hear what you're both saying that like, there's not a timeline for these things and blah, blah, blah. But you know, I would really like to own my own creative life at this point and not have it be informed by that. I didn't finish college or I don't have an MFA or that I do and was shamed for this many years. You know, I would like to be like a woman who runs with wolves at this point. And it's just (laughs) like, you know, I'll fucking do me. Like it's cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally hear that. I mean, and you know, we all know what I'm doing with my MFA, which is getting certified to be a personal trainer. Hell yeah, so. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us about that though. Why did you abandon Squats. the creative life? Cause I just want to say like Taylor is extremely talented. Like she sent me some pages this summer that she just kind of like wrote. And I was like, God damn this. <laughs> like I was like, she just makes it look so easy. I mean, I agonize over paragraphs and then I send them to her. I was like, please validate me. But <laughs> she's a great fucking writer. Thank you. And, and honestly, and like, this is, this is all my therapy at work. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that. I'm a good writer and I don't, and I don't care enough about it to like do anything with it. Like it's, I think it's, it's one of those things where like people told me I was good at it forever. And so that's what I did. I just, I just did it. I don't think there was a time when I loved it and I did it for myself. And that time had already passed before I applied to grad school. Mm -hmm. And I just did it because it was what I was good at. And like this, this personal training thing, like the course that I'm taking now, it's like, there's a lot of like anatomy and like science and all of that stuff. And like, I'm not inherently good at that stuff. And it feels like a better choice for me because it's what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. I like, it's not as much about what you're naturally good at. Whereas like, I think that like, you know, I think what happened for you and your MFA is like, this is like writing is a thing you're both good at and interested in. And the MFA completely distorted the relationship between those two things for you. Whereas like, I don't, I haven't liked it. I didn't like it 
really anymore by the time I applied to grad school. It's just like, I was good at it. You and know? they confirmed it for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say that I don't think that just because you're becoming a personal trainer means that you dra- dropped your creative life. It means that you're going to find a creative way to express yourself through that. Like yes. once you're a creative person, that's what you do. That's how you think. That's how you feel. That's how you act. That's how you, you're always like working in that space. Now, if you add science to it, I mean, Bill Nye, the science guy. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Like, I'm glad I, came no, out. I was just saying like, he's an icon to a million people, but do not tell me he's not a creative person. Yes. No, I totally agree. And I, I mean, I feel like my, my, <laughs> I know you're laughing. But you... No, I agree with you. It just was really not the metaphor I was prepared for. <laughs> so, <laughs> just like catching up. <laughs> but Elizabeth, Bill Nye, tell, I'm, I love you. Tell us about your creative life because how I met Elizabeth was thus. We both were living in Chicago. We were both doing a little stand-up comedy and a little storytelling. And we would see each other events specifically at all women um, events with this group called the Kates, who we love. And so when the Kates got a cast, um, both Elizabeth and I were on it and the meetings were at her house and she'd come to the door in this like Terminator boot, like a robot. like Because I had Achilles tendon surgery yeah. <laughs> through my Muay Thai. <laughs> right. Hell and, yes, you girl. Know, Elizabeth was like always a real badass. She had like roller skates fucking hanging around because she was like the roller derby founder. And she was just like super fucking cool and out there and like whatever. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so intimidated. Like I shop at the Gap. And then (laughs) we like both found out as time went on that we both had these like terrible divorces. We were both like single parents. And then like, as more and more time went on, we like found a lot to be in common. But in any way, that was a lot of history that people don't need. The point is, did you start because your husband bought you a comedy class? Well, I mean, I have always been, I think, a creative person. I just didn't know exactly where that goes. So like now... I still don't really know how to deal with my creative life and I'm not exactly sure how I want to express myself or how I want to really build that idea. Um, However, I don't think that I had the opportunity to dream of a creative life until I was 40. Mm -hmm. So like when I was 40, uh, my husband bought me a class for stand-up comedy through this, this Kate's thing. And um, by the way, if anybody out there wants to learn about stand-up comedy, Kate's.com, they're great. Chicago. Um, But like, I didn't know that that was something I could do because I was a survivor, right? So it was like abusive relationship, surviving, marriage, surviving, unhappy marriage, surviving, having kids, surviving. Like it was never a time where I was, I had like enough quiet to go, oh, wait a minute. Like I could, I could do something creatively. Like maybe I can write something or maybe I can have a podcast or maybe I can't. And this is after I started the roller derby league, which I started at 30. And, you know, even that was after a failed idea called Scanty Panty, where I was going to have a vending machine system in Chicago where we sold used panties. Regardless of this, I mean, Gomez. I'm sorry. That's a really good idea. If we lived in Japan, that would have, t- that would have totally went you off. Yeah. Our, literally, our producer was like, works in Tokyo. And yeah. I'm saying that. That's, that's a real thing in Japan. That's true. Yeah. But then, you know, it wasn't until I hit 40 uh, and then my husband bought me these classes because my life had kind of calmed down a little bit. And now I was in a happy relationship and my kids were getting older that I started doing things. And what makes me really sad about that is that my oldest daughter, who is a musician, um, 
was really scared to ask me if she could go to school, like college for music. And I was like, why are you so scared? And she's like, well, everyone wants me to be something else. And I like literally teared up and cried. And I was like, do you know how much I would have loved for someone when I was 18 to be like, you can dream. Mm. Yeah. You can Mm -hmm. have a dream. You can do something that is creative and beautiful and fun and makes you happy. Whereas, you know, I think the advice to everyone has been like, eh, maybe you'll make it. Maybe you won't. You should get a job as a dentist. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you know, when I was turning 40, I was like the first, which was in March, was like the first time that I felt like my creative career was like going somewhere. And, you know, I was basically ignored my whole childhood. No one was ever like, you're good at something. Everyone was like, ah, you know, and then I spent my college years like trying to be Jessica Wakefield. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let me get Which, my sorority. I she's mean, like, let me lose my virginity to a shitty person. She's a fucking sociopath. <laughs> well, I wasn't a sociopath, but being like popular and having friends and going to events like the rocking chair event, like that shit. Okay. I'm sorry. We didn't, we did not talk about how fucking well, dumb so that bad. is. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking the other day, I was like, can I have a neighborhood fundraiser where we do this on the street? (laughs) I mean, if anyone can make it happen, you can make it happen. Adrian, Taylor, we are having such a good time, but I think we got to like start wrapping it up for us. Okay. Are we going to do our fan fiction now? Yes, ma'am. All right. Yeah. So basically me and Elizabeth and Taylor wrote some very special fan fiction and we're going to have a special guest, our producer, J.W. Basillo. He's going to take part. He's complaining, but like also he's an anagram four, so he's glowing. <laughs> I'm, I am a, a real slut for attention. Exactly. You're going to, he's going to love it. Elizabeth. I'm in charge of the edit so I can edit all of this out. <laughs> Please don't. Okay. Are you guys ready? The sun was piercingly bright when Guy Chesney finally landed in the year 2020. Where am I? Guy asked himself, stepping out of his red Fiat convertible. Guy, the super talented keyboardist from Sweet Valley's most terrific band, the Droids, had bought the Fiat as a fixer-upper from his friends, the Wakefield twins. The girls burnt out the clutch, drag-racing Bruce Patman, but Guy was taking shop classes this year, and with his strong jaw and incredible good looks, Guy could fix anything. (laughs) And wow, it sure looked like he'd fix this Fiat all right. Just by switching two wires, he'd turned it into a time machine. (laughs) Guy looked around. How had he ended up at the Grand Old Opry, thousands and thousands of miles away from the sun-streaked streets of Sweet Valley? Sure, he'd always wanted to visit this landmark of country music, but why here? Why now? Suddenly, Guy felt sad that his girlfriend, Lynn, wasn't there. Lynn definitely wasn't as beautiful as Linda Ronstadt, but she was tall and thin and a talented singer-songwriter and always there to pick him up when he felt down. But then, in the distance, he heard a singing, a richly throaty voice twanged an upbeat melody. She thinks my tractor's sexy. It really turns her on. She's always staring at me while I'm chugging along. What was this voice? (laughs) This voice that touched the very depths of his heart with its poignant lyrics. 
Suddenly, Guy's greatest wish was to bring this song back to the future for the Sweet Valley High Rock and Rodeo on Saturday night. So without another thought, he walked straight through the doors of the Grand Old Opry to find its source. On the stage stood a man in a cut-off t-shirt with ropey, muscled arms of a true cowboy. As he stared at the man's handsome, weathered face, Guy felt a strange sense of recognition. He knew that face. Why? Why did he know it? An usher in a fringe jacket approached. Excuse me, sir, may I see your ticket? I, I, I don't have a ticket, Guy stammered. I just heard that voice and had to see who it belonged to. I've never heard anything so real. Well, that's nice, sir, but without a ticket, please just tell me his name. That's all I want to know. The usher peered suspiciously at Guy. Really? You don't know the name of the biggest country music star in the entire world? That's Kenny Chesney. <laughs> Guy felt as if his heart had stopped. <laughs> he whispered to himself, Kenny? Chesney? <laughs> Suddenly, Guy knew the time machine had brought him here for a reason. So he waited until the band packed up and stood next to the tour van, watching as everyone boarded, just waiting for the moment he could meet this Kenny Chesney. Finally, the man in the cutoff t-shirt approached. Are you Kenny? Guy asked, studying his glistening diamond-studded cowboy boots. <laughs> the man's bright baby blue eyes peered at Guy from under his shining white hat. The man gasped. <gasps> it was like looking in a mirror. Who are you? He asked. You're the spitting image of my dad when he was just a youngin. <laughs> <laughs> Guy studied Kenny's strong jaw and stubborn chin. And stubborn chin. Suddenly it all started making sense. Why had he landed here at the Grand Old Opry of all places? Why had he been so drawn to this voice? No, it couldn't be. But the terrific voice, outstanding musical talent, and the incredibly fantastic good looks, it must be. Guy realized he'd traveled all the way to the future to stare at the face of his very own middle-aged son. <laughs> we are sci-fi writers. Oh, yeah. I think it was almost as good as when Bruce Patman kissed Winston Egbert. I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to Wokefield. And special thanks to our guest, Taylor Mahan, and, of course, to the mythical Francine Pascal and all the uncredited ghostwriters who churn this shit out so we could read under the covers all night long. Come back next week when we leave all this high school shit behind and join the Wakefield twins at Sweet Valley University for a front row seat to Jessica's Deflowering. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And just so everyone knows, this is book two of Sweet Valley University because maybe it was too racy for her to be deflowered in book one. But we're going to skip book one where Elizabeth's going to fight with Todd because who gives a fuck? Let's get to the sex. Anyway, follow Wokefield on Instagram at Wokefield Pod for all your Sweet Valley needs. And rate and review us on your fave podcast app because just like Bruce Patman, we live for the applause. The applause. <laughs> like my very own Lynn Henry. <laughs> you're as beautiful as Linda Ronstadt, both of you. Taylor, you. you're so great. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Never <laughs> <laughs> <Whoa>, Fields. <laughs>
Tell the truth and shame the devil.